Welcome to the Milestone Church podcast. We're taking a deeper look at some of the most well-known characters in the Bible, who despite the odds of their situation, kept their faith in God. In this series called Faithful, we invite you to join us as we discover how to be faithful in the everyday challenges of life. I want to welcome you to our fourth and final week of our Faithful series. I want to take a moment and welcome those of you watching online, those of you streaming at our McKinney campus, and those of you in our 1230 service making space for others. Would you join me in welcoming these other environments? So glad to have you guys along with us. Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews 11. We're going to look in verse 30. We're in this Faithful series, but I got to tell you, it's exciting time. It's December 1st. Now it's officially time to jump in and go Christmas all the way. Now some of you, again, you've been listening to Christmas Carol since July. Uh, You've had your tree up for a month. Now the rest of us are gonna join you in this celebration. I know yesterday I went out to get the family Christmas tree, which is always an adventure. You never know what you're gonna get and brought that thing home. I saw many of you dads out in the community out there getting trees as well. One guy after service last night went out and got a tree and you bring the tree home and you hope it's a good one and uh, you, you cut it. If you get a fresh tree, you cut that little net that's around it and you shake it and I'm always nervous what might jump out of there, you know, like maybe a squirrel. A squirrel I'll probably be okay with, just not a snake or something like that. I actually, last night after service, there was someone talking to me. She said they had a Christmas tree in their attic. It was a fake tree. And one year they brought it down. There was a nest of snakes in the fake tree. I, don't, I was like, you got more faith than I do. Christmas would have been canceled at our house. It had been just like, we're throwing that thing out. She's like, yeah, we put it up. I was like, that's impressive. But, but we do these things and we get excited and people put their decorations out earlier and earlier and you think, well, why did they do that? Well, I think there's a bunch of different reasons, but I think one of the main reasons, and maybe we would even struggle to articulate this, is we're all chasing this Christmas feeling, this moment that everything's right in the world. We put up with all the stress and all the activity and all the busyness because at some point we're going to... We're gonna exhale, and it may be after you wrap all the presents and you're excited to see what the kids are gonna do or you're thinking about, maybe you had a great meal, maybe you had a great moment with a loved one, and for a minute, just for a moment, there's this sense that everything in the world is as it should be. We're hungry for those moments. People who are far from God are hungry for those moments, and I think that's why we make such a big deal about Christmas, and that's the great thing about this series. We've been looking at this series, Faithful, and the Bible says to us, Jesus says to us, you don't just have to wait for Christmas to have those moments. Anytime you gather with my people and remember my words to you, you can have confidence and assurance that I'm in control and that I'm in charge of your life and that I have a plan for you and you're going to need those moments in your life and that's really what we call a life of faith. A life not that you don't have any challenges, not that there aren't obstacles, but a life that's lived with the confidence that God's helping us. So we've been looking at these stories of these great men and women. They weren't perfect, they had challenges, they were ordinary like you and I, and yet God did the impossible in their lives, and their stories inspire and encourage us. Now, for us to get inspired and encouraged by stories, we need a little help, because we've kinda, let's be honest, we've lost our way in how we take in stories. Have you noticed this? We now, mostly we binge stories. Binging isn't really healthy for anything, right? Like, you get a to-do list, you have a friend who'd be like, you should watch this show, and you put it on the list, and then you get around to it, and you watch it, and you're trying to take it in, and they're already done, and they got a new show, and so you're like, you have questions? Is this the right show? And then you watch it, and then you're like, I don't even remember uh, if I watched this one before or not. That's not really how stories are meant to be 
taken in. I, I noticed the other day in our house, you know, I have four kids and three of them are still in the house and one of them was in one room watching something and the other one was in another room and I was in a room watching sports for a change of pace and then um, my wife was at a different place watching HGTV for a change of pace and so we said this isn't how it's supposed to work. Let's get everybody together and watch something together because stories are social, they're powerful, they bring us together, they cause us to think, to reflect, for a story to have significance, for a story to have meaning we have to be able to remember it and speak to it. It has to have some staying power. That's the incredible thing about Hebrews 11. These stories have existed for thousands of years and they're not just stories, they're true and they speak to us. Our theme verse for this series has been Hebrews 12. Look at what Hebrews 12 says. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, really what that's saying is, since we have the stories of all these people who went before us that God did incredible things in their lives, let us Strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. I love this. I, I'll never forget the moment in my life as a young man. I kind of always believed in God, and I knew there was a God, and I wanted to live in a way that would please God, but my life was radically changed. I, I'll never forget this as a young man, early, I was in college, maybe 18, 19 years old, and it really became clear to me that God had a plan for my life, that there was a race that I was supposed to run, that no one else could run my race, but one day God would look at me and he would say, son, what did you do with what I gave you? And it changed the way I related to God forever. Maybe you've never heard that, maybe you've never understood that, but it's true, God has a purpose and a plan and a race that's just for you to run. And if you're gonna run that kind of race, the only way to do it is to have faith. It's to have the ability to overcome the challenges that would trip you up. Last week we talked about one of the ways that we do that is by keeping our eyes on Jesus. This week I wanna peek a little bit further into Hebrews 12. Look at what 12.3 says. It says this, think of all the hostility. The NIV says consider all the hostility, he meaning Jesus. Think of all the hostility Jesus endured from sinful people, then you won't become weary and give up. I don't know about you, I think we live in a weary world. We're just weary all the time. We just live in differing states of wearying. And it's one thing to be weary, but, but weariness really becomes a problem when you give up. I don't know how often uh, you give up. I, I think we all do in different ways, depending upon our personality, depending upon the season of our life, depending on the pressure. Sometimes it's dramatic and we're like, I quit. Most of the time it just fades away. Quitting is common, but quitting isn't something that's gonna help you in the life of faith. I was thinking about quitting this week and it made me think of this incredible, this incredible test of will and strength. I don't know if you've, you're familiar with this, but the Navy SEALs, when they're training, when they're going through their hell week, they put this bell right in the middle and, and you have to be elite just to be invited. And then once you're invited to this training week, you go and you're going through all these um, <clears throat> drills and things that you're doing, all these tests. You see them down there in the water and in the process, you have to be elite to even be invited and then when you're invited they push you, they push you, they push you and the whole time there's this bell right there in the middle and when you feel like you can't do it anymore, you give up and you signify and you go ring the bell. And so when I think about quitting, when I think about ringing the bell, I think about this passage and I think about the way to overcome is to keep our eyes on Jesus, is to go, I'm not gonna ring that bell, I'm not gonna give up on the dream God put in my heart, I'm not gonna give up on the race that he has for me to run, so I'm gonna keep thinking about Jesus 
And we think about Jesus when we put our hope in God, when we look at him instead of our challenges, it gives us the ability to run our race and not ring the bell. So we've been looking at some of these men and women. Well, mainly we've been looking at men, to be honest, but today we're gonna look at a woman, an unusual candidate. I gotta be honest, I've never preached a whole message about this woman until this weekend, but let me tell you, she's got something to say to us. I believe she's gonna inspire you. I believe she's gonna maybe even change the way you think about and relate to God, and this woman's name is Rahab. Now let's look here, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30. I'm gonna go ahead and read it to you. We, we talked last week about Moses. He's working chronologically. The author of Hebrews is working through chronologically. He talks about Joseph, then he talks about Moses, then he talks about bringing the people out of Egypt. If you know the story, what happens after Moses is the, the leadership is transferred, the people go into the promised land. Look what it says, Hebrews 11:30. By faith the walls of Jericho fell. When the army had marched around them, for seven days. It's a powerful story of God's supernatural provision for the people, bringing them into the promised land. But it's almost like, for a second, the author of Hebrews forgot about someone and, and was reminded to include them in the story. If you know the Bible, what I just read to you about the story of Jericho happens in Joshua 6, but, but the, the writer here breaks chronology and he goes back to Joshua 2. Look what he says, verse 31, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Now, based on, I, I, I've never met Rahab, I've never had an interaction with her, but based on every interaction that I've ever had with any woman ever, I would imagine that if you gave Rahab the ability to have some say into how she was remembered or portrayed in this passage, she probably would have appealed to say, you know what, just Rahab's good. You don't have to call me the prostitute Rahab, right? Like, that's pretty extreme. My eight-year-old daughter was in service taking notes last time. We may be having a conversation later. <laughs> you think maybe there, there could have been a euphemism, right? Like, there's different things to call that title, right? You could have said, the lady of the evening Rahab, <laughs> the proprietor of the world's oldest profession Rahab, something, you know, soften it just a little, but the Bible comes right out and goes, the prostitute Rahab. Crazy thing is she's mentioned in the New Testament. Here in Hebrews, the prostitute Rahab. Joshua, the prostitute Rahab. Jesus' little brother James in his letter, the prostitute Rahab. You thought she'd probably be like, Jesus, really? You're, even your little brother calls me that? Can't we turn the page? That's not all I am. But, but I think you'll see she had an unusual perspective. Now every week when we mention one of these stories, we, we wanna give you the full context. We find, we find Rahab's story in Joshua chapter two. Here's what happened, I, I gave you a little bit of a context a moment, I'll give you a little more. Moses is with the people of Israel, he leads them out of Egypt, they're in the wilderness for 40 years, he comes to a moment where they come right up to the edge of the promised land, he dies, but before he dies he transfers leadership to a man named Joshua. In Joshua 1, it's a great passage of scripture, I encourage you to read it. In Joshua 1, what happens is God says, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, remember my word, now go, I've given you this land. Wherever your foot sets, I've given you that land. So Joshua is feeling strong and courageous. And so what he does is he sends two spies into the promised land into a place called Jericho. Now these spies go out to check out the land to see what's going on. And the first place that they come to in Jericho is an inn. 
Now that's all the Bible says, it's an inn, but the inn is run by a woman named Rahab, and we've learned Rahab was a prostitute. I don't know if the Israelites knew the kind of place they were staying at, but it seems like when you study the ancient world, a lot of the inns that were there, they offered more than bed and breakfast, if you know what I'm saying. And so they were there at this place, and they show up, and when these spies show up at this inn, the king of Jericho has spies too, and he hears that these people from Israel have come into the land, and so he sends spies to the inn. He must have known who Rahab was. She must have had some level of influence. So you have this convergence, this dramatic scene that's building. And Rahab, in her wisdom and in her foresight, she takes the spies from Israel. She sends them up to the roof. So when the king's spies arrive, they ask her, where are the guys from Israel? We know they're here. Deliver them to us. She's like, they were here, but now they're gone. Go search for them over there. It's interesting, no one ever told her to do that. She just took the initiative on her own. She walks up to the roof. Here's the first thing she says to these spies from Israel. It's fascinating. First thing she says is, I know the Lord has given you this land. What an incredible thing for her to say. We don't know anything about her history. We don't know anything about her background other than the fact that she was a prostitute. That's all we know about her. And yet she says, I know the Lord's given you this land. We've heard about you. Everyone in Jericho knows about the people of Israel that God rescued from Egypt. He parted the seas and he's bringing them to our land and we're all afraid of you. And so Rahab, inspired by faith, inspired by a hope for a better future, unwilling to give up on her life, unwilling to give up on her family. She appeals to these spies, she says, I've helped you, will you help me? And, and the spies say, our lives for your lives. When we come back and come through, if you and your family are here at the end, you won't die with everyone else, you'll be saved and, and we'll bring you with us. And so they agree to do it, they go back, they tell Joshua what happens. Joshua tells the people, consecrate yourselves, we're going into this promised land. It's amazing, as if God didn't just want the previous generation to experience his miracle power. So Joshua brings the people to the River Jordan that's at flood level. The waters are massively high, they're looking at how are we gonna get across? And the same God who parted the Red Sea for Moses parts the, parts the waters of the Jordan for, for Joshua and the people, and the people walk through. So there they come. They get to Jericho. They march around. The walls come crumbling down. Look what happens here in Joshua chapter 6. Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day, I love this. Literally, in the moment, she lived among the Israelites till she died, but now figuratively, for all time's sake, she's remembered, not as an outsider, not as a resident of Jericho, not just as a prostitute, but inside the people of God who received this God into her life. Look at this, Joshua 2.11, look at her declaration to the spies. When we heard of it, our hearts melted. What did, what did they hear of? That God was bringing his people through into, the, into this promised land. When we heard about this God, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Think about this, this is what this story's telling us. You, you may say, Jed, that doesn't seem right. Why would God go to a place like Jericho and wipe the whole place out and not give anyone a chance? The prostitute Rahab reminds us, if he gave a chance to a prostitute, he gave a chance to everyone. Everyone was afraid, everyone heard of this God, but only this one woman had the faith to say, I want a relationship with that God. Will you consider me, despite my mistakes, despite my past, despite what I'm known for, despite what other people have been labeled as, 
Will you have a relationship with me? And the God who loves people who are far from him says, yes, you will be with me and your people will be my people. See, if you've ever felt like, man, I've been forgotten, I've been overlooked, I've been passed up, Rahab says, I know what that feels like. If you've ever felt labeled, if you've ever felt like people look at you like the worst mistake, it's interesting, the Bible doesn't call Abraham the liar. It doesn't call Moses the man who ran away. It just calls them by their name, but it calls Rahab the prostitute. Why, because it's trying to make her look bad, it's trying to shame her. I think she probably had enough sense of guilt and shame all by herself. I think what the Bible is reminding us is, if you feel far, if you feel distant, who's the most distant? Could they be a candidate for the grace and the redemption of God? The prostitute Rahab comes out of the crowd and speaks to us. No matter how far you feel from God, no matter how you've been labeled, don't for one second think that faith in God is not enough to cross that chasm. Think about it this way. You probably never knew this. I never knew this until a couple weeks ago. The title of this book is Hebrews. The people of Israel did not refer to themselves as Hebrews. Hebrews was a word derived from the Egyptian word for servant or slave. It was a derogatory term. Why would you call a book of the Bible a derogatory term? Why would you call it Hebrews? You know, Hebrews is a funny name. It's not just a kitschy Christian coffee shop. Get it? Hebrews. Okay, welcome back for those of you who are slow. We didn't call it that, we just went with Milestone Cafe. Um, but, but here's the point. Why would you call something? I, I think the writer of the author of Hebrews, he's not picking on Rahab, he's saying to all God's people. That name that someone called you that meant to hurt you, that name that someone put over you, that thing that someone used to belittle you, to make you feel small, don't just hide from that, don't just run from it, but remember that the same God who saw you at that moment when others made you small, when others derided you, God saw you in that place and in that place when everyone else gave up, God's faithfulness reached you in that moment and he rescued you. Don't let that be a name you set aside and give up on. Let it be a trophy of God's grace and his ability to reach you in that place. Oh, Rahab will speak to us. If we'll listen, she'll speak to us. Here's what Rahab would say to us. When you put your faith in God, not just to anyone, but when you're willing to put your faith in God, what you've done, where you're from, or what others call you cannot keep you from God's promises. But it's all about putting your faith in God. See, because the truth is, in life, the way life works, if you don't have your faith in God, if your faith's in a person, if your faith's in your own ability, what you've done, where you're from, and what, are, what others call you will absolutely keep you from the promises of God. See, it's all about faith. It's all about trusting in God. It's all about keeping your eyes on him because left to ourselves, we all have a breaking point. Even the greatest, toughest Navy SEAL in the world comes to a moment where they wanna give up. I'm, I'm pretty good at wanting to quit, wanting to give up. You probably realize I'm an emotional person. 
I, I, my son, you know, now when I was an emotional person growing up, I had a great dad who would tell me, we don't quit in this family, we don't quit. We put, you know, we grit our teeth and we grind it out. And of course, that, the, back in the day, that was celebrated. We don't celebrate it as much today as we used to, but now I'm a dad to four kids and I look at my kids and I'm telling them, we could do this, you could overcome, this isn't too hard for you. You can believe, don't quit, don't give up. And so I was talking to my nine-year-old who's emotional like I am the other day, he had a bad day. He made some really bad choices. I was not proud of his choices. I said, son, we gotta do better on our choices. He goes, I know, dad. He goes, but I'm just a mess up. I screw up all the time. I make bad choices. I just can't help myself. I just, dad, I just wanna quit. I just wanna give up. I said, you're not gonna quit. That's not who you are, and you're not your choices. He's like, but dad, you don't know. My emotions are so big. My emotions are bigger than my self-control, dad. I go, that's true. But it's good that you know that, because now we got a place to build from. All of us have those moments. All of us have those moments where we want to quit, we want to give up. How do we do it? We have to keep our eyes. We have to keep our hope. We have to keep our focus on someone bigger than us. And we have to be expecting those moments where we're going to want to give up. You think about this. Each moment throughout the series, we've come to this turning moment. We said, okay, how can I have faith like this character? You probably never asked yourself, what can I learn from an ancient Middle Eastern prostitute? There would be no real reason for you to ask that question. (laughs) But that's what we're gonna do for the next few moments. We're gonna ask ourselves that question. What can we learn from Rahab? McKinney, maybe you're wondering, 1230, you're wondering, what can we learn from Rahab? It seems unusual, it seems difficult, it seems like what kind of a, why would you go to church to learn from a prostitute? Why would you go to church to connect with someone like that? You know, it's interesting, in Jesus' life, in Jesus' day, he would minister to women, a woman caught in adultery in John 8, a woman with the alabaster jar who was believed to be a prostitute. The religious leaders, every time he did it, they're like, what are you doing? You can't do this. Even John 4, the woman at the well, it looked scandalous, it looked inappropriate. And so many of the religious people were like, Jesus, what are you doing? You know who wasn't asking Jesus, what are you doing? Rahab. Because she knew what kind of a God she served, the God who saw people at the margins, the God who saw people that everyone else had given up on, the God who even saw people who maybe even gave up on themselves. So what can we learn from Rahab? How can we have faith like her? Well, I would say the first thing you have to do is you believe God's grace can reach anyone, anywhere. You believe God's grace can reach anyone, anywhere. It's an incredible story of redemption supernatural even, unbelievable, this story. She's the least likely candidate in the entire chapter of Hebrews 11. No one would have picked her. You know, in that day, in that era, in the ancient world, your gods were your tribal gods. Whatever you grew up with, wherever you were from, you were stuck. It wasn't like the day where you get to go on a spiritual journey. And yet somehow in that process, Rahab has the faith, maybe, just maybe, I can transcend these limitations. I can look to this God who parts the seas. Maybe he'll receive me. And because she was willing to step out and trust in faith, her whole life was changed forever. You're like, what does that have to do with us? I know many of you. Maybe you're thinking, Jed, if you knew really what I was facing, if you'd known the choices that I've made, I'm not in any way trying to make you feel ashamed. I'm not trying to put a label on you. Here's what I've found in working with people. We don't have to work hard to make you feel guilty or ashamed. You do just fine on that on your own. And the reason why most of us feel guilty is because we are guilty, but we don't know what to do with that. There are moments where we've blown it, where we didn't make the right choice, where our emotions were too big for our self-control, where we did something that we're not proud of, we did something or, or we said something or we acted in a way 
that was not in keeping with how we want to be, the person we want to be. So in that moment, what do you do? Do you turn away and do you run from God? Do you think he's given up on me so I'll give up on myself? Or do you turn to God and say, I'm going to trust and believe he wants me back. He'll take me home. This is what Rahab teaches us. Where in your life? Maybe you're thinking, okay, Jed, this is good for church people and for somebody like you, but if you knew me, this doesn't apply to me. Oh, yes, it does. That's Rahab's message. All of us have a little bit of Rahab in us. The truth is there's also people in your life like Rahab. They're wondering. They see your life, and what they're wondering is, okay, I I know how they used to be, and I see them now. They're different. They're not the same. Did what they experience, is somehow that available for me? And the question becomes, where are those people in your life that everybody else will say, they'll never, it can't happen, it won't happen? When we celebrate these stories of baptism, this is who we are as a church. I, I sit over there every week and I never, it never gets old. I'm never like, we should try something new. I'm like, I can't believe what God's done as person after person go and say, I, I didn't know this God. I didn't grow up going to church. I, was, I, I, I thought I was the last person who would have a relationship with God. And now here I am giving my life to Christ and going public in my faith. A couple weeks ago, we had someone in the baptismal tank who was like, this person who I thought would never, ever show up at, at church Not only did they show up, they gave their life to Christ and now they've been baptized too. Rahab reminds us, don't be so quick to say, that person would never. She says, oh yes, they would if you'll give them the chance. One other thing about Rahab, I think it's important to remember, she comes to God with this sense of God, you're God in heaven and you're God on the earth. She doesn't do what a lot of us do, which is to try to tell God how he should be God. She basically just comes in and receives his authority. She just says, God, whatever you say, I'll receive it. Maybe for some of us here, we're wondering, we're like, I have a relationship with God, I love God, but I don't sense his power, I don't sense his presence, I don't sense his peace in certain areas of my life. Well, the question I would always ask you is, have you recognized his authority in that area of, his li- in that area of your life? If you want his power and his peace in your marriage, you have to recognize his authority in your marriage. If you want his power and his peace in your job, you have to recognize his authority in your job. That doesn't mean you change jobs or go into ministry. It means right where you're at, you do your best to honor and represent Christ in your workplace, in your relationship with your children, wherever you go. When we say, God, even in this spot, you can be glorified. Even in this spot, you're God in heaven and you're God on the earth, and so I recognize you. You'll begin to see more of his presence and his power. Not that you won't see challenges, but you'll have the ability to overcome. Here's the second thing. After God rescues you, you choose to keep growing. You know, I've worked with people for a long time, and people are interesting. I love, I love people, all kinds of people. Most people, when they have a problem, no matter their background, no matter their past, if the problem's big enough, they'll be open to God. I remember one time there was a basketball player who was an atheist, and he was getting ready to play one of his biggest games, and his ankle was busted up, and he couldn't play. And so we talked to him, and we're like, hey, uh, we see your ankle's busted up. Would you be willing, should we, can we pray for your ankle? He's like, no, nah, man, I'm not into that God stuff. So then he tried to go out and be tough and go through warm-ups and, and play in the game, and, and he couldn't do it. And so finally at the end, he comes over and he goes, I guess you guys can pray. And so we laid hands on him, prayed for him. Just like that, his ankle, he was able to play. He goes out. He has like the game of his life. It's like they're playing a top 10 team. He has the game of his life. He comes after, I was like, this is gonna be awesome. God's gonna move in his life. He's gonna be like, man, I can't believe what Jesus did for me. He goes to talk to the reporter after the game. They're like, you weren't even supposed to play. And uh, how did that happen? And I was like, okay, this is the moment. God's gonna get the glory. And he goes, yeah, you know, life's weird sometimes. Sometimes your ankle doesn't hurts and sometimes it doesn't. It just turned out to be fine. 
It's like, uh oh. That's not what happened. And I would love to be able to tell you that it all worked out. But, but I'd also love to be able to tell you he's the only one who's ever done that. I think all of us can slip into this relationship with God that becomes transactional where it's like, God, I'll be really close to you if you do what I ask you to. But I'm always watching and waiting for the person who's excited about Jesus after he's done what they asked him to and they're just excited to be around him. You say, what, what, what's the secret? How does somebody live like that? Well, I think it's really simple. It really just comes down to this. There's two kinds of ways to relate to God. One is the way where you relate to God so he'll do stuff for you. The other way is you relate to God because you just wanna be with God. See, when you relate to God on the basis of who he is as a person instead of what he does, you never finish with who he is as a person. If you only relate to him with what he can do for you once he does it, you don't really have much to talk about. But if your primary goal is, God, I wanna be with you, I wanna know you, every day becomes more meaningful than the last. That's the life you and I were created to live. So how does this work? What are you saying, Jed, what does that mean? Do, you just, do we just go to church more? Do we just memorize more spiritual stuff? No, no, I think it's a little bit more simple than that. How do we choose to grow? We talk about it all the time here. Well, the first thing that you have to ask is, what's my next step? You know, Hebrews gives us this metaphor of running our race. We're supposed to run our race. You can't run a race without continuing to take steps. A race means you take step after step, and once you take your next step, you take your next step. So the question is, what's your next step? Maybe you've just been coming. Maybe you're just, this is all new to you. Just keep taking steps. Maybe you've been coming for a while and you've kind of settled into a place. This would be a time for you to take your next step. You say, well, how does that work? Here's the next question you ask yourself. Does that step require me to stretch my faith and grow? See, most of us are risk averse. That's what smart people call it. It just means we don't like to do stuff that's uncomfortable. But, but all of the data shows the same thing. In order for you to grow, in order for you to change, in order for you to mature, you have to get out of what's comfortable into that awkward place where it's like, I don't know how this is gonna work, and I feel kinda weird, and you feel like I'm the only one who feels weird. Anybody who's growing feels weird because they're taking steps to places where they've never been before. Here's the last question you ask yourself. Does that step impact more than me? When we're really growing, when we're really moving, God doesn't just work in us, he always wants to work through us. I wanna just make this so simple. We, this is who we are as a church. Every week we're trying to do this, we're trying to help you. We're trying to see people like Rahab who are far from God come into a saving relationship with him. And then those people, once they come into a saving relationship, we want them to be just as excited in every step that they take throughout the rest of their journey in their relationship with God. You're like, what does that look like practically? I thought this might help us. Here's what it looks like. Maybe your first step is engaged. If this is your first Sunday ever, you're like, I don't know what kind of church this is, and they're talking about prostitutes. This is not what I was expecting. It's okay. Just keep coming. We don't talk about that every week. But just keep coming. I talked to a guy last night, and he said, Pastor Jenny goes, I wasn't even going to come. I didn't want to come. I didn't even want to be at church. He goes, but somebody invited me, and, and so here I am. I can't tell you how badly I needed to hear that. We know for some people just coming the church is a big deal. We, we know we, there was a guy who came and sat in the parking lot six weeks and he was like, I don't think if I went in there, they wouldn't want me there, they wouldn't receive me. And it's easy to understand why people feel that way. If you've ever felt that way, this is a place where you're valued, where you're loved. Just come in, just be a part, just engage. But if you've done that, if you've already been in that place, I would consider you to take a next step. You've got to serve. You heard Pastor Jeff say it. He said, as we enter in this Christmas season, there's going to be thousands of people 
And these people need not just what's happening on the platform, they need to be, they need to be known and talked to and loved and served by each and every one of us. And every little bit matters. The way we serve in the parking lot matters. The way we serve in the cafe matters. The way we serve in the commons and in the kids area. Every piece matters because every piece demonstrates the love of God. Maybe that's your next step. If you've done those steps, another step for you could be our growth track. The very first one, Discovery 101. It's coming up next weekend. You could be a part of that. Maybe you've done 101. Maybe you've done even 301, which is a small group. Maybe you, you've never gone to a small group. It's time to take that next step. You're like, small groups are weird, and I don't know what's going to happen, and I don't know any of the people, and I'm the only one who feels that way. No, you're not. Everybody feels that way when they first go, start going to small group. But it's in those steps that we start growing and we become the person God created us to be. I was leading a freedom group this semester, and we're going around the group the first week, and one guy goes like, man, I want to grow in my, in my ability as a husband and a dad, and another guy's like, I want to get closer to God, I want to deal with some of the stuff in my past. One guy goes, I don't even know what I'm doing here, my brother just dragged me here. I go, I looked at his brother, I was going, you just took your next step, nice job, fist bump, right? By the end, the guy who's like, I don't even know what I'm doing here, he's like, this is one of the greatest things I've ever done. It's challenging, it's difficult, but when you take that step, Everything begins to change. You may look at your life and you say, Jed, my life, there's so much wrong. You, it could never happen. I would ask you this. Are you in a worse spot than Rahab? She just kept taking steps. She was literally in a life and death situation. She seemed like the least likely candidate. And the same way God worked in her life, God could work in your life. You may wonder, well, what happened to Rahab? What, what happened to her? It's a great question. I think it can inspire you with faith. See. Rahab didn't stay a prostitute. Rahab became a mom. She became a mom of a man named Boaz. That name may be familiar. Boaz was a man of great character, a man of great influence. In one generation, think about this, in one generation, Rahab went from being Rahab the prostitute to Rahab the mother of Boaz, who's known as a man of character, who's a kinsman redeemer, who grew up in her home, who changed the course of their family, and, and Boaz ends up marrying this other woman who's an outsider, another woman who grew up with a different God, a woman named Ruth, a Moabite widow, marries Boaz, and the two of them come together. And they have a child, that child's name's Obed. Obed has a child, his name's Jesse. Jesse has a child, the youngest of their child is a, name, is a man named David, you might have heard of him. He became the king, he defeated Goliath, all through Rahab's line. Look how fast God can move when one man or one woman says, I'm not my past, I'm not the label I was, I'm not the mistakes I made, I am who God says I am because I believe by faith this is not the end of my story. And the incredible thing is, the story doesn't end there. 27 generations later, through the prostitute Rahab, comes the Savior named Jesus. The same God who worked in Rahab's life can work in your life, no matter how far, or how labeled, or how misunderstood, or how broken you may feel. If you say, Jesus, I receive you, he will receive you, and I'll change everything. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful that our stories don't have to end because of our challenges, because of our mistakes, because of the brokenness. No matter how far we may feel from you, you see us and you love us and you call us home. Maybe this is your day. Maybe you feel like Rahab. Maybe you feel like no one would include me into the things of God. God would if you receive him by faith. Right there, just in your own words, say, Jesus, I thank you for 
your love for me. I thank you that when I was broken, when I was lost, when I was far from you, you came near to me. Now come into my life and be my Jesus. You pray that prayer and just tell somebody. Come down, put it in the, on that communication card. Tell somebody in just a moment when the service ends. Let us know. Maybe you've prayed that prayer. Maybe for you, You've prayed that, you know what it means, but you just feel lost. You just feel like you're wandering. You just feel tempted to give up. This is the moment to remember. You don't have to ring that bell. You don't have to give up. No matter how hard it is, this doesn't have to be the end. God is still working and moving in your story. God, I'm asking for every person who feels distant and far away and feels like giving up. Lord, I pray that you'd meet them, strengthen them, encourage them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out through our website at milestonechurch.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, leave a review on the podcast app or your favorite podcast platform. We hope you have a great week.